Hi, I'm Bishop David. I'm pleased to be here with Father Michael Wynn, uh, Rector of Holy Spirit Seminary. After 12 years, Father Michael's uh, term is coming to a close and be returning to the Archeparchy of, uh, of Winnipeg. Mm -hmm. So I just want to thank you for your beautiful ministry and dedication in, in formation of, uh, of uh, young priests for service to the Ukrainian Catholic Church throughout uh, Canada. It's been a, a great honor and um, the Metropolitan Lawrence, Bishop Bryan, and, and the entire church is grateful to you. So we just want to have just a little friendly chat as kind of you uh, close one chapter within your own priestly ministry and, mm -hmm. and, and return to the Archeparchy for, for a new pastoral assignment. Uh, early on, the, the bishops is this when we talk about the call. Uh, when uh, the Apostolic Delegate, the Pope's representative in Canada, calls us and say, the Holy Father has appointed you to be a bishop in such and such a place, still mm -hmm. when we're, we're priests. So, so where were you when you got the call to be a rector of, uh, of the seminary? What, what was that like for you? Well, I was a pastor of Holy Eucharist Parish in Winnipeg, and um, Metropolitan Lawrence uh, had called me, asked me to come in to meet him in the afternoon, uh, just after coffee with the staff. So I, I showed up early and I brought a suit, my, not a suitcase, I brought my briefcase with me with copies of my homilies. Sometimes my homilies were challenging for people and, and I've been called by the bishop before. On the contrary, they're so wonderful. Well, uh, <laughs> some people, Paul Lawrence wanted a copy some, for some, himself. Some people had a different uh, understanding of that, but that's okay. Uh, so I went uh, expecting to talk to him about a number of things, parish issues and so forth. And I was there for coffee and uh, Sister Terry Ann, uh, Metropolitan was there, Sister Terry Ann, uh, after he left, said, I'll see you in a few minutes upstairs, you know, uh, and uh, she looked at me, she says, uh-oh, this can't be good. He, this can't <laughs> be good. And I don't know if she was in on it or if, um, you know, what, what the occasion was. So I went up, we talked about the three issues of the parish that we had been ongoing discussion. And then he said, now the real reason I want to talk to you is, are you aware of our seminary in Ottawa? I said, oh, yeah, of course, yeah. I've been there twice already. <laughs> and uh, then he asked me, uh, with, with the support of all the bishops of Canada to be the, the next rector starting that fall. I almost fell off my chair because I was not expecting it at all. And um, so we talked a little bit about it and I asked him for 24 hours to think about it. Um, I recognize some of my own abilities, but the office of rector is, is rather big and I didn't know if I could actually do it. And I have my own limitations and so forth. So as soon as I got in my car, I called a very good friend of mine, and uh, he said, if you don't take this, I'm going to come there to Winnipeg, I'm going to hit you in the head. <laughs> uh, so by the next day, after speaking with another a trusted friend in Winnipeg, you, you remember Fred, maybe. Yes. Uh, and um, so I, I, I called him, I said, can I come in and tell you? He goes, no, just tell me over the phone, we need to know. <laughs> so I said, yes, I'll I'll." I'll go and everything. And so we had a few more meetings and I went to Ottawa to meet with uh, Father Andre. And uh, un unfortunately, due to circumstances at the time, um, I only had seven hours with him as the handoff. 
Father uh, Andre Kotcher is yeah, his, uh, yeah, yeah, the yeah, previous yeah, rector. Yeah, yeah, good man. So uh, you're very humble. Uh, why do you, what do you think the bishop saw in you that um, uh, would have asked you to lead the seminary and be in charge of formation of, of future Ukrainian Catholic priests for Canada? I suppose I couldn't speak that at the time, so this is after 12 years. I suppose it's a, an ability to uh, meet with people, meet them where they're at, um, to uh, pastor, to be a, to be a father, um, maybe a fatherly image. I think that's one of the things I've actually enjoyed over the 12 years is for the variety of men that have studied with us from all ages, um, it has been uh, a fatherly fraternal journey with them. And um, I think that's maybe part in what the bishop saw. I know I'm kind of a liturgy nerd, um, so, but I don't know if that was the case because the seminary has done that well. Um, but the communication with others, I think, um, in, a, in a manner which is respectful and and um, being able to call forth the gifts from of others. I see that and and more in you. You've um, over the life of Holy Spirit Seminary in Canada, you've been one of the longest uh, reigning rectors, well, serving, serving, <laughs> serving rectors in Canada. Uh, what uh, uh, what is a rector? What, what do you do all day long? Well, that seems to be the question of every priest. What do you do? You don't do anything unless you do it on Sunday, right? Um, well, it's quite different than parish ministry, that's, that's for sure. Um, one is to, you're in charge of the entire program of priestly formation for, for uh, the, the men that the bishops send to you. Uh, and you also have to take care of the facility it, itself. So. I guess like a parish, a pastor has the same responsibilities shared with the parish council um, uh, or the pastoral council uh, and um, in Ottawa, uh, wherever, Ottawa, Edmonton, I had a great staff, changed a bit through the years, but uh, I've had great staff to be able to um, assist and to work together on meeting the, the needs of the priestly program, the priestly formation program, and then taking care of the physical plant and, and so forth. The program itself uh, aims at um, kind of a, what we'd call an integral formation. So we're, we're, it's built on four, John Paul II called them four pillars. Um, now they're talked about as four aspects of formation. And that is uh, human, spiritual, intellectual, and pastoral. And so a rector is going to coordinate all of that together within the seminary. So he ensured, we don't have our own theologate, so we sent our seminarians to St. Paul University. And at St. Paul University at that time, the Metropolitan Sheptyski Institute of Eastern Christian Studies, or Massey for short, uh, was there. So we had our, our men taking our own theology, Eastern Christian theology, with, with the Sheptyski Institute. I'd coordinate with a number of um, professors and others at St. Paul University for uh, a yearly pastoral field placement. So the men would be placed in 
uh, hospitals, to be placed in schools, uh, senior care facilities. We had a very good relationship with one place in Ottawa uh, where the men were placed in an Alzheimer, Alzheimer care facility. And um, that was really helped a lot of to stretch the men in terms of how they uh, perceived others, listened to them, and then to look at their own, who they are in reaction to that, and, and uh, to hear God speaking to them, even from someone who's suffering from dementia and everything. Uh, amazing as that sounds, it does happen. Ask Father Warren Dungan. He's had a long time in that facility, and uh, I believe it really helped him to grow and to make him to a fine priest as he is today. Beautiful. Thank you. Yeah. So there's uh, a, other spiritual formation. Um, there's we have spiritual conferences uh, with a, with various spiritual directors, and then we have the liturgical life of the of the seminary, and um, we also go out of house to experience not just our in Ottawa our one single parish, but here the various parishes here here in Edmonton. Yeah. In the first year, we made it all but one of the parishes in the city of Edmonton, and we made it down to Calgary, and, oh, I'm missing one. Halfway to Calgary. Red Deer, perhaps? That's it, Father, Father Jim, not mm-hmm. actually, yeah, we were there. And then, um, in, in terms of human formation, well, that perhaps is, is the area of greatest growth we, we, we find, because of living together as a community, whether you're not married, you live inside the seminary. If you're married, you live with your own family, but you interact. And uh, we also open our doors to the larger community, Ukrainian Catholic community, in order for others to be involved in the formation of these future priests. Albeit they may not even know they're, that they're helping to form them, but uh, it's the continual growth of learning how to communicate um, effectively, with charity, with patience and humility, uh, and, and to learn how to, to be a servant uh, and a leader at that at the same time, um, rather than uh, perhaps being, uh, you know, using a, uh, an example, you know, someone just being a leader and saying, do this, do that. That's not what we're aiming at. And certainly uh, not the way that our, our Lord... Um, in terms of service to others. Uh, There's a lot in, in the day of a rector. Oh, yeah. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> so that's a day in the life of a, of a rector. Mm-hmm. What's a day in a, in a life of a seminarian? What, what, what do they do? Um, sleep, eat, study, pray. <laughs> Sounds very monastic. <laughs> yes. Well, and... Uh, of course, uh, some some sort of entertainment exercise and so forth. Well, it starts early. How uh, early is early? Uh, well, in Ottawa, we started at uh, seven o'clock in the chapel. Um, when when I arrived at the seminary, the practice was to have a half hour of personal meditation and then the divine liturgy. But I moved that to having the divine liturgy and then a half hour of meditation or spiritual reading. Uh, m- the men tended to be more awake during that prayer time. <laughs> then we'd have breakfast together, and uh, then the day would begin for, for classes. They needed about a half hour to get to school. Classes started at, 
at uh, nine o'clock at the, at the university. Here, we have to start a half hour earlier. So we're in the chapel at 6.30. We're done by 7.30, 7.30 to eight for breakfast. And then uh, to get to school because classes start at 8.30 at Newman. So it's a, it's a bit earlier and they have to move their personal meditation and spiritual reading on their own rather than as a group exercise. So during the day, it's there are classes, whether it be at, at Newman for theology or, or one of the other universities here for philosophy. Although Newman has just introduced a, a new BA in Catholic Studies with philosophy, which is fantastic. Um, and then um, one day a week, we would go to St. Paul University or here at Newman Theological College, and we would celebrate the Divine Liturgy. Now. In Ottawa, the Shetisky Institute was there, and we would join them in that. And often, they would ask me to be the main celebrant, and the seminarians would take over in singing. Here at Newman, we do it in their chapel. I think the first year was Tuesdays, the second year was Wednesdays. Unfortunately, that got cut short due to the pandemic, and hopefully, we'll be able to return to that this Soon. coming fall. Yeah. And then in the evening, we would have um, Vespers. Uh, sometimes it would be mandatory, other times it would be optional for the men. We would have supper together, and then the evening could be a night course at Newman, or we would have a spiritual conference, we'd have an outside speaker. Um, I, I run a, a series of conferences as well to deal with the practicalities of parish life. And uh, you some, want to speak to that? Or? Well, sure. It's... it's uh, uh, at, at the time, the, the, there weren't many courses in canon law, so I'm not a canonist, but we would go through the canons uh, for a particular, we'll just take baptism, chrismation, and the giving of Eucharist, the sacraments of initiation. So we'd go through the canons, and we'd read through them, and we would speak about their pastoral application in the actual um, and then we'd follow the celebration of the of the sacrament. We teach them so baptism, the anointing of the sick. Yeah, yeah marriage, I actually had funerals. a yeah. So we you know practical. How mm -hmm. old how old uh, does a child have to be? Well, it doesn't say in the canons. So here's the average age of an infant usually. And how do you do a baptism with an adult? Yes, especially if you if that adult really wants to be immersed. Yes, in water and and they're and they're quite heavy. So yeah, exactly. How would you lift the? Yeah, <laughs> I've never lifted an adult an adult for uh, immersion. But anyhow, um, we would uh, also go through the actual celery. So I had a little doll that they could, you know, pretend to baptize with and and so forth. Uh, we would a lot of, a lot of the practicalities uh, and uh, experiences that based on my own experience in the. Um, the experience of many other priests, it's, it's amazing. In the office of rector, uh, I've come to know almost every priest in Canada Beautiful. of our church. Yeah. Uh, I never thought that, I never imagined that, but it has been a joy. And to hear their experiences and to incorporate that into uh, what we teach the seminarians. I can imagine those vast experiences just can't help but enhance how we're at pastoral service of, of the faithful, journeying mm -hmm. them with their, with their, in their, their own uh, faith journey. Mm -hmm. um, so the seminarians uh, uh, studied in, in Ottawa at St. Paul University here at Newman Theological College, uh, Roman Catholic uh, Institutes of Higher Learning Information. 
Uh, some, some may wonder what kind of Eastern content uh, do the students, the seminarians receive? So how are, how are they formed uh, so that they can be a best service uh, in an Eastern Catholic Church, in the Ukrainian Catholic Church in particular? Can, can you speak to that? Sure. Um, I suppose we can we'll try to divide the studies up into, into groups. So we can take a look at some foundational theology. So we would have an introductory course into Eastern Christian theology. So just the basic terms and where they're from, where we can find them in uh, the patristic writings, the scripture and patristic writings and so forth. Um, in the Eastern Christian approach, there's, a much, there's much more emphasis on patristic writings as a foundation. In the Western approach, there's a little bit but they tend to, to uh, survey history very quickly and end up with more modern theologians. Um, that happens in the East, but there's a, there's a greater emphasis on, on the foundation and moving towards uh, uh, more modern writers. So, uh, foundational theology. We would also have, um, in terms of systematic, we would look at, at uh, Christian anthropology, what it means to be a human being. We take a look at uh, Christology, who is Jesus Christ, uh, eschatology, soteriology, so these are, have to do with the Christian life and uh, the end times, and then um, we would have uh, Eastern Christian approaches in terms of ethics. It's, it starts on a different foundation than the West does. Um, a lot of the West, uh, this is a ge generalization, is based on scholastic uh, a scholastic approach from Thomas Aquinas. Not everything, but it's very well rooted in that. And the East tends to have more of the emphasis on patristics. Thomas, of course, is based a lot on some on patristic writing too. Uh, when I was younger, uh, there was a, a tendency for those in Eastern Christian theology to go, oh, Thomas Aquinas, just leave him aside. As I get older, I find that the two are much more aligned than many people think. You know, so... Um, so I, I appreciate that. And then, of course, when we get into spirituality and to liturgical studies, it's quite different than in the West. Uh, the West tends to think of different, different spiritualities, and you choose one, or you're attracted to one. And the East, it tends to be one spirituality uh, with, with slightly different uh, um, emphases. One could say... Uh, that it's um, they're they're both diamonds with different facets, uh, and the East will tend to to just explore every facet, where the West tends to explore one facet at a time. Um, that's I, I, after after speaking with Father Andriy Chorosky, the founder of the Shetinsky Institute, when I was in gra uh, in undergraduate studies. Um, I approached him, I said, well, hearing you, this is, this is, what, this is the sense I get. If, if the content of theology is a swimming pool, the water in a swimming pool, generally speaking, not always, but just generally, the West tends to dip you know, a cup into the water, pour it into different test tubes or, or vessels, takes it to a laboratory, examines it, breaks it down into constituent elements and so forth, and then comes up with a statement and so forth, which is very good. 
the East tends to be that you just jump in and experience it that way. Notwithstanding the fact that both do each other, but, but generally speaking, these are the differences between the two. And so that comes through in our, in our theological courses. I like those images of uh, diamonds of East, east and West and, and uh, the, the swimming pool analogy. Yeah. If, um, um, you know, perhaps some of those is this that, uh, that are, are watching are wondering if they have a vocation uh, to the diaconate or the priesthood, or, or, or maybe is this to be a, um, a, a, a bazillion redemptorist, uh, Sister St. Joseph, Sister Servants of Mary, uh, monasticism. <clears throat> how, how do you know you have a vocation? What, what advice, what experience have you had? Uh, that might be helpful to someone that's, that's listening. Sure. Um, well, I, I suppose I can start just with my own experience, and then I can confirm that just in witnessing and journeying with uh, the seminarians that I've, I've had over 12 years, but actually for others even before that, and I'm sure there'll be more to come. Um, myself, I, I came to a point where I kind of knew what I wanted to do in life. I, I was studying chemical engineering at the University of Ontario. But at the same time, I suppose due to my, my family life and the experiences that we had, um, I always wanted to kind of know what the Lord wanted me to do. I, I really believed that the Lord was active in our lives. He's not just you know, up in heaven and watching over us and periodically showering us with a bit of rain of his grace and so forth. But he's, he's active in our lives day to day. So I remember uh, in my engineering studies at my desk every night, I had a little journal. After I finished my homework, like at 1.30 in the morning, I would, uh, I would write in my journal um, from reading a bit of scripture that day, maybe just a, a few thoughts and... Um, and then always asking, Lord, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to do? And I think that's an important question. What do you want me to do? It's an important question two ways. One, I'm actually seeking what the Lord wants me to do. Two, it puts me in a position to listen. And from Scripture, I remember uh, the story of Samuel. Samuel, the Lord calls out through the night. Samuel, Samuel. He gets up, someone's calling, and by the third time he goes, Here I am, Lord, speak, your servant is listening, mm -hmm. right? So that had an effect upon me growing up, and so uh, I wanted to listen to what the Lord had to say. And, and um, I thought it was actually to be married, like that was to be an engineer and to be married. But um, I kept running into priests priest who said, hey Mike, you have some qualities that make you a good pastor. You ever thought about becoming a priest? Mm -hmm. And so there was a, an invitation um, to a point where I, in my fourth year, so this would be 1986, November of 86, I called my parents on the phone and said, I think God's calling me to be a priest. So that's the first time I said that. When I was younger, I had said that, but uh, then I just, I had this inkling in me that I needed to investigate this. Of course, uh, my parents were a little surprised at this. Are you sure about this? 
and I was Roman Catholic at the time, so the second question was, well, what about grandchildren? You know? <laughs> now, I have, to, dream. I have to tell you, my first year of engineering, I lived in residence, and we had a little, you know, beer fest at the end of the year, and I, they had a voting, who's going to be the first to do this? And I was voted to be the first one married before I graduated with children. <laughs> so, uh, quite a bit different. So I finished my studies. I applied to the seminary in Ottawa. Was rejected. I don't to the Roman Catholic yeah, seminary. Uh, yeah, but I, no, by by the bishop, the archbishop. Mm -hmm. I didn't even get to the seminary. Mm -hmm. So, um, but I don't know why he he rejected my application. But it was an important year for me. Mm -hmm. um, I, I worked with Shepherds of Good Hope in Ottawa, which mm -hmm. uh, serves the poor, especially the homeless. And I worked in an area of their ministry which took in those that were rejected from all other shelters, all other detox centers. It was the last place to go for a roof mm -hmm. in the Ottawa Hall area. And most of them had mental illness of, to some degree. And I was really tested in my understanding of love at, at that time. And uh, I still thought about priesthood, but it was pushed in the back burner and so forth. Um, to, uh, and it was a wonderful experience, and I needed that type of growth and everything. I didn't understand it at the time, but I needed that. And I applied again to the, sem to the archbishop, and he accepted me, and I applied to the Roman Catholic Seminary. But in that year, I, I ended up going to Madonna House, and I met Father John Sianchuk, a redemptorist priest, and we were sorting clothes for the poor. And he found out that my mother's Ukrainian Catholic. And he goes, oh, you should become Ukrainian Catholic. <laughs> Sowing seeds. Yeah, and I met an Orthodox priest, Father Alexander, Russian Orthodox, and he said, you should become Ukrainian Catholic. And I thought, not possible. But then things just started to come into, into place. So I entered the Roman Catholic Seminary, but I ended up becoming Ukrainian Catholic uh, three years later. So it was a three-year three-and-a-half-year process of discernment on that. And, and how, how do you know, what, is this my, is these my thoughts or God's thoughts? They tend to be confirmed mm -hmm. by others. You hear it, you don't hear this, this voice going, Michael, I wish you to be a priest, or something like this. No, like Elias on the mountain in the cave, the voice of the Lord was not in the, in the thunder or the lightning, not in the earthquake, but on a very gentle breeze. And that's, so it's the inside, you have to listen inside in prayer. And it's often confirmed by others in your life, whether it be parents, friends, even complete strangers, you know? And um, I remember the day when, you know, I, I, I knew I was going to be a priest, and a Ukrainian Catholic priest at that, I was actually on my way down to Niagara Falls with my mother my, uh, to see her father. He was dying. This was my last visit to him. And as my mother was driving, I, I prayed Vespers, uh, Ukrainian Catholic style. I closed the book. It was a beautiful sunny day with clouds, and I was looking outside, and I just turned to my mother. I said, okay, I'm ready. I'm going to become Ukrainian Catholic. She goes, well, how do you know? I said, I, I just have a, a peace in me. Beautiful. And when I got back to Ottawa to talk to my spiritual director, he was rocking in a chair 
And I said, I'm going to become Ukrainian Catholic, Father Roger. And he says, oh, finally. And you're going to move the priesthood? I said, yes, that too. He goes, I've been waiting for a number of years for this. He had already seen it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he had already oh, seen it. Yeah. What a beautiful story. Yeah. Um, I, I don't think is this that we get rejected, you know, like the Archbishop in Ottawa. I just think is this in God's timing. Uh, God chooses to open certain doors at certain yeah. moments. Um, as as for, for those that, that might have s- similar churnings within their hearts, yeah. so what concrete step, like, to, with whom do they speak? Is this just to... Just to say, is this, well, you know, I think maybe I've got a vocation to the religious life, monastic life, diaconate priesthood, whatever it might be, then to, how, how do they concretely, is this, sure. what steps do they take? There's a number of things you can do. If you're just beginning, uh, speak to your parish pastor, mm-hmm. you know, um, or uh, uh, if, if it's towards diaconate priesthood, you know, if it's towards religious life, you want, might want to speak to someone in religious life. Um, just to be able to start a communication with them and uh, and explore what is that life about like ask questions mm-hmm. because if you th- I'm a priest so I'll talk about priesthood but it could go for anything so I would uh, you go talk to a priest what well, what's what's parish life like maybe you maybe you want to hang around you know and just and witness these sorts of things is that something you'd like to do you know because What's the old saying? Grace builds upon nature, right? I, th- I think that's actually Thomas Aquinas. I'm not sure. Mm-hmm. But, but uh, if you have natural talents that can be used in that area, that, that's important. And um, two is pray. Uh, three, talk to family and friends. I think that's important. Uh, sometimes uh, in today's world, we, we, we're afraid to share things because, you know, oh, you're going to get uh, pigeonholed. You're going to be put, you're going to be mm-hmm. identified this way and, and so forth and everything. But uh, talking is mo- communicating, sharing thoughts and ideas or testing them uh, is, is important uh, in discernment. Um, and uh, to really, you know, I would say get a journal and write down what you're thinking and then go back and read it. And uh, I would also say, if you're a parish priest, or if you're religious, you're going to go see a sister, or a, or a monk, or anything, um, you might want them to be a spiritual director for you, a spiritual father, a spiritual mother, in order to test these things. Because a spiritual director is always just going to reflect back to you what you're going through, and sometimes, you just can't Beautiful. see it because mm-hmm. you're you're focusing on the Two footsteps. Folks. You don't see the, yes, the larger yeah. horizon. They they may be able to. So, our uh, vocation stories are quite similar. When I was thinking of joining the uh, Bazillion Fathers and and community, but some of these things, these practical things, would have been helpful many years yeah. ago in yeah. in my own life. Well, well, thank you very much for for sharing that. If I may, one one more question. Sure. This has been a beautiful conversation. Uh, I find in, in life that um, we influence those around us. So you've had much influence in the formation life of, uh, of a number of uh, seminarians, and many of them as this that have been ordained as deacons and, and as priests. But Father Michael, I also find is this that who we are today is through the influence of others. Mm-hmm. So how have you grown? 
how have you grown these these twelve these past uh, twelve years? Um, what what has changed you? Well, I can joke and say I used to have black hair. <laughs> we uh, could all joke and say yeah, that. Yeah. <laughs> that just happens. Uh, it, some people, I know it says in Scripture that white or silver hair is a sign of wisdom. I, I have a long way to go on that. I would. I am. I would. I'd recall from Isaiah, where it says, and, I, and I, you've heard me say this before. Um, as iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. And I have found that uh, my time with the seminarians and with my staff have been opportunities for me to grow as a human being. To be, um, as, I'm, as I'm teaching these seminarians to be accepting of their gifts and their limitations. At the same time, I'm becoming accepting of my own gifts and limitations. And to make a, a um, uh, better, better, better human being. That's, that's number one. Um, I, I've, been, I've been less harsh on the, on, on the men as the years go on. <laughs> I've been less harsh on myself mm-hmm. as I've gone. Not not to a point of like, well, anything goes, you know. But mm-hmm. but uh, all according to uh, what our Lord has set out for us to be His disciples. Indeed, that's uh, in order to be um, a, a clergy leader in the church today, you need to be a pretty good disciple. And so discipleship has been something we've, we've focused on, and I've focused on. Perhaps we focused on it because I want to be a better disciple. And these men have, over the years, and those who are married, their wives and children, have, have allowed me the opportunity to, to grow as a disciple of our Lord. And then to become a disciple maker. You know, this is, I forgot her name. Um... There's an American woman who's wrote, written a, a wonderful book on making disciples that's been influential up upon me. And believe it or not, her first name is Sherry. So um, the second name might come to me in a moment. But the seminarians are the one who brought the book to me, to my attention. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I was, I was very happy about that. Um, they've, challenged, they've challenged me in uh, my horizon of 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 understanding um even theo- theologically um and um we've done a yeah as here here's something <laughs> as you know I'm a celibate priest uh most of most of those who are ordained today are are married actually I did a quick little calculation just for some for a friend of mine the other day of all the Active eparchial priests in Canada, there are 126. 106 are married. So 20. So it turns out to be 84.3% mm-hmm. uh, are married priests. Why do I bring that up? Part of the discernment within the seminary has been whether to be, what's the Lord calling it? To be a priest, but to be a married priest or a celibate priest? You know, that's to listen to that as well. And so I've, I've uh, 
learned that just by interacting with the seminarians and, and trying to understand and, and, um, and to journey with them that the, the, the call to the priesthood and the call to the married life or celibate life is a call by God, but it's also my call. It's your call and your call. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's your decision. Um, and I think that's been uh, much more emphasized in my time in the seminary. Uh, we'll be able to explore that more. It's really an exercise of Christian freedom. You know, to be free in the Lord is to make these decisions that the Lord may call you to something, but I, I have to assent to that. It's always the fiat of the mother of God, right? Mm-hmm. And, um, and so that it, it's, it's, it's the Lord's choice, but it's also my choice. And, and, I, and I think uh, journeying with the seminarians through these years have allowed me to see... Um, and, and to say yes much more easily to the Lord. The, uh, the Hopefully image, for them too. Yes. <laughs> uh, the image that comes to my mind is uh, as you, in humility, uh, say is this, that you, you grow in age, but, but you are growing in, in wisdom. And uh, it's the gift of the Holy Spirit for which this seminary is, is named as, as our patron, uh, to be guided in uh, in fatherly love, mm. uh, you know, uh, in journeying with you these these uh, these years in, in your rectorship, but also in in uh, in our friendship, um, I, I would say is this that you have grown in fatherly love, uh, you have been uh, stretched as as you have stretched uh, others mm-hmm. in their formation, and so uh, so Father Michael, I just want to want to thank you once again for your beautiful journey, for your willingness, like the Mother of God, to, to say yes, her, her fiat, not knowing what lays ahead of you. Is this what, what does it mean to be a rector? What, what are, what are, what's the church asking me to do? But um, to grow in, into that ministry. Um, so I, on behalf of Metropolitan Lawrence and uh, Bishop Bryan and, um, and all of the, of the church, this of a licky clean is this a beautiful thank you, a word of gratitude for for yes. your loving and dedicated ministry these past twelve years, and um, a bit of a blessing um, as you return to your home, Arch Eperky, and uh, and await a, a new pastoral assignment. May may the uh, uh, the wisdom that you have amassed. And the person who you are and who you have been, have uh, come to be uh, and grow in these past twelve years, may that serve our church well, and that um, may you continue to be a, an ambassador for vocations, uh, an ambassador, Christ's ambassador for um, for your fellow clergy, that uh, whom you will rejoin in your own family. Uh, this in, in uh, throughout Manitoba and, and beyond there then too is this may, may that new giftedness uh, be a true blessing uh, to the church all for God's glory of course for his glory absolutely so thank you very much for, for your uh, I very much enjoyed our conversation and, and I hope that our viewers do as this will have learned a little bit more about the seminary, the life in a, uh, a day in the life of the rector, and, and of uh, the life of a, 
uh, daily life of a seminarian, and that may um, we continue to pray for vocations so that uh, God may truly bless all of our faithful then too. So, Slavis Christus. Slav Glory be to Jesus Christ. Glory forever.